The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. Hello, this is Matt Minnick for Bengals Chalk Talk. Today, my guest uh, from Pat's Pulpit and USA Today's Touchdown Wire, Mark Schofield. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Matt. It's great to be with you. I know that, you know, everybody's really excited to hear a podcast about Andy Dalton, perhaps going to the New England Patriots right now. I'm sure it's at the top of everybody's to-do list. And for those of you who are in that boat, today's a big day for you. Because Matt and I are going to talk about just that. We're going to talk about Andy Dalton. We're going to talk about some Joe Burrow stuff. So it's great to be with you. I'm excited to talk some football and, you know, ignore the real world for 20 minutes or so. In times of crisis, I think we all think to ourselves, what about Andy Dalton? Exactly. What's going to what happen, happen to Andy, Andy Dalton? What would Andy do, right? What yeah, would Andy exactly. do? So, um, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely worse people to turn to uh, <laughs> in that situation. True. Very true. Uh so, yeah, I mean, let's get right into it. So, uh, apparently, Belichick sees some untapped potential in Andy Dalton. Uh, Charlie Weiss came out and said that he th- thought that Dalton would be a good fit. Uh, you are a you are a quarterback guru. You're, you're a Patriots uh, expert. Uh, how do you see Dalton fitting in with the Patriots? Well, I think there, there's two sort of components to that question. And we can start with the sort of schematic on the field. And I think that Charlie Weiss is right. When you look at Andy Dalton over the course of his career, what he's done in Cincinnati and you know how they've sort of structured their offense during his time under center for the Bengals, when you look at how the Patriots sort of structure their offense conceptually and what they ask of their quarterbacks, you know, where they ask their quarterbacks to excel, you know, with the things that they want from their quarterbacks. I think Andy Dalton would be a good schematic fit. You look at New England and sort of their impetus in the short and intermediate areas of the field in terms of the passing game, you know, the, the prerequisite for yardage after the catch type plays would stress the quarterback to get the ball out sort of on time and in rhythm and to make the right decisions with the football and to be careful with the football and things like that. Schematically, it's a fit. You know, and I, I think that you know, when you look at what the New England offense has looked like over the past couple of years, you can see Andy Dalton sort of stepping into that environment and being fairly comfortable with what he's asked to do. You know, the other sort of component that, you know, given that free agency is, we believe, about to take place, and, you know, this is a business, would be sort of the numbers. You know, would it work financially for the New England Patriots? The New England Patriots, you know, everybody's sort of focused on Tom Brady 
rightfully so, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. You're going to draw your eyes there first. But they have a ton of decisions to make, Matt, regarding, you know, their roster. You know, Joe Tooney might be the top or, you know, one of the top two guards available in free agency, whether you prefer to have a Brandon Scherer for the Washington Redskins. No, he's up for free agency. They probably can't bring him back. Kyle Van Noy, Devin McCourty, Jamie Collins, they have decisions to make there as well. Even some of their other players, like, say, an Adam Butler or, you know, a Ted Karras, who's a reserve interior offensive lineman, they've got decisions to make there as well. And they don't have a ton of cap space. They've got, last I checked, it's like $29 million. And so those are a lot of things to juggle. And when you're looking at Andy Dalton now, you know, over the cap or sport track, wherever you want to look at it, sport track, for example, says that Andy Dalton has a market value of $25 million per year. That might be a little inflated you know, given what the trade market might be for somebody like him, it might be tough for doing that to get him in under the cap, given all the other things in the air. But on the field, in terms of concepts and schematics, I think Andy Dalton does make sense for the Patriots. So, you know, you talk about his contract. I mean, is there an assumption that if he were traded that uh, that he would get a raise out of it? or or uh, No, I mean, I... I, I think they were saying that the Patriots, uh, you know, I saw something recently that the Patriots were planning on offering Brady $25 million a year. So I, I got to think you're you're at least getting a, a discount on uh, on that for, for Dalton, uh, right. you know, based on what his contract already is, yeah. you know, uh, in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at, at Dalton, I don't, I think 25 would be an absolute ceiling. You know, I think you're probably looking at something more like the 19 to 20 type range. You know, and if you're the New England Patriots and it comes down to Brady at 25 or Dalton at 25, like, I think we know how that conversation is going to end up. Mm. I don't don't think the Patriots are going to say, well, you know, thanks, Tom, but we're going to give Andy Dalton the same amount of money. Like, I I think we could reasonably expect the Patriots to retain Tom Brady. But the question with Brady becomes, and, you know, obviously we get a little bit of inside baseball here. You know, having returned from the combine a couple of weeks ago and having spent a lot of time with the, the New England beat writers, you know, I would tell you that, you know, the Wednesday night before we had that, you know, we had that Thursday report from Jeff Darlington that, you know, it was looking like Brady was going to go elsewhere the Thursday of the combine before everything really got going. And the Boston Herald reported that it wasn't looking good. The night before that broke, I was with the Boston beat writers at a bar in Indianapolis and it was like a wake. I mean, there's just the mood was sullen about Tom Brady potentially returning. And the expectations were that, you know, maybe New England offers him something in the 30 million range, but the Raiders might go to 35 million. Other teams might go to 38 million per guaranteed. So when you're talking like 70 million over two years guaranteed, New England's not going to go there. Now, perhaps the market for Brady has softened a bit. You know, we're seeing reported that perhaps, you know, the Titans are using Brady as more of a leverage play to get Ryan Tannehill to a more reasonable point. In negotiations, you know, maybe the Raiders, they are set with Derek Carr. You know, maybe Indianapolis is happy to explore a draft guy. So maybe the market is softening a bit, although there are reports that Tampa Bay is going to go all in on Brady. So who knows? Yeah, but Tampa I, Bay thing's interesting to me. I, I, I did yeah. see the other day, too, like to, to, to add in with that, that the Chargers have a uh, – I'm, I'm not going to throw out the number because I don't want to throw out an incorrect number, but a significant uh, amount of cash – uh, that they have to pay out for relocation fees this year. So although maybe the cap wouldn't be a problem, uh, just having enough money, enough cash to you know put in escrow to sign Brady, uh, you know could be you know, that could be something that, that rules out the Chargers as well. Yeah, I mean that's something that 
you know, when we start getting into free agency, we start talking about, you know, all these contracts and the numbers, they seem almost unreal on a sense. And it's like, you know, the dollar amounts don't account for anything. It is important to remember sort of cash on hand. And Amy Trask, who spent years with the Raiders under Al Davis, you know, she, among others, has always stressed the importance of, you know, cash on hand and guaranteed payouts and money up front, things like that. Those factor into what teams can do on the open market. And like you said, I don't have the number. I'm trying to like Google it as, as I'm talking here. But, you know, they are going to be cash strapped, the Chargers are. So they might not be able to make a move for a Tom Brady if we're talking guaranteed money and things like that. And so, you know, the market for Brady might be different than we think. And so maybe it is Brady is now going to be looking at something in the 25, 28 million range per from the New England Patriots. Again, I think they'd rather pay that to Tom Brady than somebody else in the open market. But when it gets into that 30, 32, 35 range, with all the other stuff New England has to figure out, that might be cost prohibitive for them. And they might say, look, we just can't bring you back at this dollar amount and field a competitive team around you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and Dalton's coming in with a, uh, for next year, he's set to make 17, five. So, yeah. um, uh, but then he's a, he's a free agent in, in 21. So, you don't necessarily have to spend any more than that on Dalton, but then it pretty quickly becomes a Band-Aid, and it's either you're drafting a guy to replace him right away uh, in 2021, or, or you know, maybe, <laughs> I, I don't know. Apparently, that, that's the other rumor that's been going around uh, New England lately, is that they like Jarrett Stidham more than we think they do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, I, so, and I will, you know, to jump in there, Matt, there's truth to that. I mean, into talking people in and around the building, they've been really impressed with what Jared Stidham has done developmentally from where he came in during rookie OTAs to where he sort of finished the season. Because when he came in after being drafted, he was throwing, like, I was told a story that he threw an interception during a walkthrough. Like, that's, <laughs> I mean, look, we've been around the game, right? I've never heard of something like that. I mean, I was an awful quarterback and I never did something <laughs> like that. And so, you know, there's your fourth round draft pick throwing picks or walkthroughs. People were like looking around. Media members were looking around like, what, what is happening? But then you see the way he played during preseason. He really showed an ability to read defenses quickly. You know, he did throw a pick six in, in regular season action. But the, the team was very impressed with the strides he made developmentally from where he was coming in to where the season ended up. And so, he, you know, he's been working off season with the same people that, you know, are coaching up Joe Burrow. You know, the, the Jordan Palmer group out on the West Coast, you know, he's been working with them since he was prepping for the draft. And so there is excitement within the building about the future of Jared Stidham. And there are people around the team that do think that if they can't get a deal done with Brady, see what they have in Stidham for a year, maybe sign like a veteran option, like a, a Brian Hoyer or something that could, you know, right the ship if it all goes south. And if it doesn't pan out, you're drafting somebody in 2021. Just to uh, a side note here, uh, for all the Bengals fans listening that don't see as much of the Patriots as you as, and I do, um, I, I've, I live in Rhode Island, for anybody that didn't know, uh, and married a Patriots fan. But um, so the, the, the pick six you're talking about, I, this is a great Belichick moment um, yeah. and, and you know, awesome. Uh, I, I forget how much the Patriots are up, but the Patriots are up in the fourth quarter. They put Stidham in. Uh, first throw was a pick six, and uh, and then you know kick off. Tom Brady comes out. Yeah, it, it yeah. like love it. It's totally the right move, but you don't expect it in the NFL all the time. 
And I think all the all the high school coaches and and you know probably college coaches too that that are listening uh, probably you know respect it and would do the same thing. But I, I I feel like they never do that in the NFL. Like once you take out the dude, he's done for the day. Uh, but that was uh, yeah, that, that was, was that was incredible. It was thirty to seven with six thirty left in the game. Okay, <laughs> the Jets were getting blown out on the road. He comes out, he throws a pick six, so it's now 30 to 14 again with six minutes left. And you're thinking, you know, Stidham can still just hand it off and they're going to ice this in a way. No. Nope. Number 12 back in the huddle. It's <laughs> like, look, Belichick does stuff like that. Like, he's done that before with young quarterbacks. It's why, you know, people and Patriots fans themselves often, like, pull their hair out when Brady's playing, you know, deep into games like that. Belichick's seen New England and other teams blow leads late. And so, like, if, if you can't run the offense, like, instead of throwing that pick six, we're going to make sure we ice this game away. But, yeah, it was it was an incredible moment. I was just like, wait, you're going to pull him? Oh, <laughs> man, that's going to be rough come film study on Monday morning, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that was great. And, I mean, and by the way, how awesome would it be? Uh, if Stidham ends up being a, a, you know, their next quarterback and takes him to play, how, how great of a start to that career is he? It's, a, it's an incredible story. It is. Uh, it's a great story. <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But, uh, yeah, I mean, looking at, at Dalton, I think it's – I've seen some people talk about how, you know, the Bengals didn't give him much. Um, talk about, you know, a, a swinging door at offensive coordinator. I don't think that's exactly true. I mean, the last few years have been rough, don't get me wrong. Um, but you know, at the beginning of his career, his first five years, he had two offensive coordinators, both of them left to become head coaches. Um, and both of them, you know, along with, with Dalton, uh, led teams to, to the playoffs. Uh, and it it was an interesting thing because I, I felt like there was always a lot of, well, Dalton stinks. He can't win in the playoffs. And, but then there was also, also, wow, Jay Gruden's awesome. He can take Dalton to the playoffs. Like, how can both of those things, how can you separate those things like that? You know, maybe, maybe Dalton's great that he could take Gruden's office to the playoffs, you know, but, um, but, you know, in all, in all fairness, uh, like Hugh Jackson and uh, uh, gets a bad rap for very good reasons because he is not a good head football coach, uh, but he's a, he's a good play designer, a good coach um, and a good offensive coordinator. Gruden did a good job with this team as well. Um the Bengals, until right about the time they lost those guys, uh, had an at least serviceable offensive line. Kind of always had some issues at right tackle, but you know we're we're generally pretty good on the offensive line. They had AJ Green, they had Marvin Jones, they had Mo Sanu, uh, they had Tyler Eifert. Um, so, I mean, they did a lot to put yeah. uh, to put things around Dalton. Now, obviously, he didn't have those things around him last year. Some of that right. was was injury related, uh, but but he didn't have those things. Uh, you know, one concern that I would have with the Patriots is uh, maybe schematically is a fit, but like you said, they have a lot of problems. They never replace Gronk. They really need another receiver who can step up. 
Uh, and they had offensive line issues last year. Yep. And now they don't have uh, Dante Scarnecchi to help them make up for it. So, I mean, do you think it, it maybe, yeah, maybe he's a scheme fit, but do you think that uh, New England is set up for Dalton to have a, a solid second act? I mean, as the roster currently stands, I'd say no. You know, you mentioned some of the questions. We could start with the offensive line. If you assume that Joe Tooney is gone, you know, they have a question mark about David Andrews, who missed, who was their starting center, who missed all of last season with, with a health, health issue. Um, the expectations are that he's going to be okay to go. But if not, then you're talking about question marks at center and left guard. Now, you've got Isaiah Wynn. You know, left tackle who missed a lot of his who missed his entire rookie year, but was solid at times last year. And Shaq Mason, their right guard, they signed him to a long-term extension a couple of years ago. He struggled at times. Marcus Cannon, their right tackle, was in and out of the lineup with injuries. So there's things they have to fix up front. And losing out on Dante Scarnecchia to retirement certainly doesn't help. And then there's, look, the targets in the passing game. They began the year in a very good position with Josh Gordon, with Antonio Brown, with, you know, a healthy Julian Edelman. Yeah, they they whiffed on replacing Gronk. I think his late decision to retire, coupled with, for whatever reason, their stubbornness and not drafting a tight end or two in last year's rookie class, really sort of put him behind the eight ball. But they probably expected with Gordon and then eventually Antonio Brown and Julian Edelman that they were going to have enough weapons. You know, because when you've got those three guys, now suddenly Philip Dorsett is a much better receiver because he's getting cornerback four or three across from him. But now with Gordon out, with you know, Antonio Brown becoming Antonio Brown with Julian Edelman hurt. Now Philip Dorsett, he's suddenly seeing, you know, cornerback two across from him. He can't win those matchups. The tight end position is a black hole. There were no weapons. And so they have a ton of questions to answer. Now, if they address those the right way, if they figure out how to get Nikhil Harry truly into the fold, you know, the rookie first round wide receiver they drafted, if they maybe sign some guys in free agency and, again, use some of their earlier picks right now, I believe they have, I think, three picks in the top 100 of first and three third rounds, thanks to the comp picks they've got. You know, they can restock around. But, yeah, there are huge questions they have to answer. And you mentioned the uh, three picks in the top 100. Um, if if uh, they were looking for Andy Dalton, uh, what do you think the Bengals might be bringing back in compensation? I mean, you're probably looking at them using one, if not both. You know, I, I'd say you're looking at one of those third-round comp picks. You know, I, I think New England would be – you know, they might even add some more stuff into the mix as well. Um, but I think that's kind of what you're looking at. So whether it's their original third rounder, which I think is 87, or the one at 98 or the one at 100, or maybe, you know, two of those third rounders, I think that's kind of what you're looking at. I mean, because of all the questions, New England's going to want to hold on to as many draft picks as possible. Um, and the other thing that sort of works, you know, if you're – the, the buyer, I guess, in this scenario is the free agency market. Like, there are other options. Like, you know, it'll be easy for a team like New England to trade for Andy Dalton to drive a bit of a harder bargain because they can just say, okay, well, you know, there are other guys sort of out there in the free agency market we can kick the tires on. And so I think that's kind of what you're looking at. That's just sort of off the top of my head here. Yeah, and they've got a lot of a, a lot of day three picks too. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know about – like you said, with all their needs, I don't know about 
two in the third, but you know, yeah, maybe in the you get the third, and maybe a fifth or a sixth is coming along or something. Um, not not anything too exciting, but something that maybe helps the Bengals to to move up. Uh, if, yeah. You know, if they're trying to do that at some point, you know, maybe just some some kind of bargaining piece like that. So, um, and uh, you know, I mean, at this point, do you think? Uh, the Patriots are are one of the top contenders for Dalton services, or, or I mean, are there too many really unknowns to to even get into that, or or where do no, you think I mean, Dalton could end up? I, I think there are two teams that do make sense. I do think that New England is one of those teams that makes sense, you know, given the schematic fit and you know the fact that you know if New England does decide to move on from Brady and they want to contend right away and they're not sold on Stidham as much as they've. Seen, then I think Dalton makes a ton of sense. And I do think that Chicago makes a ton of sense for Andy Dalton as well. You know, because when you look at sort of what he can bring to the table and you look at the struggles they've had getting productive play from the quarterback position over the past two seasons with Mitchell Trubisky and the fact that they have a Super Bowl window of their own with the Khalil Mack contract and the fact that Trubisky isn't as expensive now, I think schematically that also makes sense. They also have some numbers and salary cap things to figure out. But I think those two landing spots make a good deal of sense. Now, if things spin out wildly and we see guys moving all over the place and say Tennessee moves on from, you know, uh, Ryan Tannehill, but they don't bring Tom Brady in, Tennessee would be a good fit. But I think the two that make the most sense are Chicago and New England. Yeah, Chicago bugs me a little bit. And that was one that came out right when they said they were benching him. Uh, and they had like five minutes to do it because they didn't announce this until uh, the day of the trade deadline. But um, it, it bugs me because the 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 knock on Dalton has always been, well, he can't win in prime time. He can't win in the playoffs. You know, he doesn't win on national television. So why would that guy be the guy that's going to take, you know, the that that great defense in, in Chicago to the next level? That's that's the only thing that bugs yeah. me about it. No, it's it's a it's certainly a question mark. It's certainly something to consider. And and I think from Chicago's perspective, while all of that is true, there is nothing they've seen from Mitchell Trubisky that has shown that he can do that. You know, sure. people sure. might point Chicago Bears fans. You know, when I was covering Mitchell Trubisky for the past two years over Pro Football Weekly, you know, when I would point out flaws or poor reads or whatever they'd always come back with well he had the potentially the game wouldn't drive against the eagles in the playoffs but our stupid kicker had the doink shot it's like okay that's one drive uh, like point to me what else gives you confidence that he can be the guy and so i think there is that aspect of play you know from chicago's perspective also i do think that a guy like jake Fromm makes a ton of sense for them in this draft class. I mean, he's Andy Dalton light, right? He's Andy Dalton light. I think that's right. You know, I think he's somebody that if you just need a quarterback to make the right reads, the right decisions, get the ball out on time in the short area of the field, which is Chicago's offense from makes a ton of sense. And so that wouldn't surprise me at all. But yeah, I I do think the Dalton thing makes sense because that they just need somebody that can just be a facilitator at the position and just get the ball out when it needs to come out of the quarterback's hands. The bears are an interesting one too, because they have no first round pick. They have two second round picks. Uh, and then I th- think they might have like a fourth round comp is the next thing. Like they don't have a third round pick either. So, uh, you know, for Dalton, are you going to give up one of those twos? Because I don't, I mean, I, she's, I hope they do better than a fourth round comp for him. Uh, for a guy that's presumably going to be your starting quarterback. I'd right. like to think you can do at least get a decent fourth round pick from him. Um, and, 
you, you know, or do, do you just use one of those second round picks on Jake Fromm? Because I, I think it's, I want to say 43 and 50 are the picks. Yeah, that's exactly um, what they've got. They get 43 and 50. And I think yeah, Fromm I think at Fromm's 43 there, and 50 you know? makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, the, the, you know, that'll be, that'll be interesting. It, it's weird because those are the teams that have been discussed, um, you know, largely. And, and, you know, there's the draft pick situations with those, with those teams uh, makes it, makes it interesting to see how things will shake out. Exactly. Uh, I mean, if they want to, they want to send a, you know, if they want to send pick, pick 50 over for the, for uh, Andy Dalton, I mean, rubber stamp right now, but I just don't know. Right. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know if they're going to pull that. Um, yeah. I mean, it does seem like 50 would be too much, but if you're Chicago and you're desperate, mm-hmm. maybe they are. And that's the other thing is obviously, you know, I, I think there's two ways to look at teams that don't have a lot of draft capital. I think one way is to say, well, they're not going to give things up because they need the draft capital. The other is to say, though they're comfortable giving up draft capital, uh, you know, because that's why they don't have it because they, right. they gave it up for they gave it up for other things in the past. So, um, so I mean, I, I don't know. You know, maybe that's an, an over. Uh, you know, maybe that's overpricing it. But you know, desperate times, desperate measures, and and you know, those guys are they have the the uh, contract situations that are, that are limiting their timetable. But um, I got to think after setting expectations high early, uh, you know, Matt Nagy's got to get a succeed or, or, you know, he's going to be out the door. Um, yep. And I would also think from a you know GM standpoint, there could be some, uh, you know, those guys are never uh, looked at, you know, GMs are always given a much longer leash than the coaches. Um, yeah. But you know, know, at, at some point that's going to come in as well. Yeah, I mean, especially when you consider that, let's not forget, Ryan Pace traded up to two to draft Trubisky with Watson and Mahomes on the board. Like, he's on, his, the seat is hot under him in Chicago. And so there's going to be pressure on him to deliver any way he can during this window. Otherwise, he's out the door as well. I don't think he's going to get this long GM leash because, you know, especially when the Chicago Tribune came out a couple of months ago with their sort of deep dive into how they evaluated that class. And, you know, it was almost like they barely even gave Watson any sort of, you know, value at the quarterback position. And so, yeah, I, I think there is an impetus for Pace to fix this as fast as possible. And that might lead him down the road of, fine, I'll give you whatever you want for, for Dalton. Cause I got to make sure we get somebody that can run this offense. Yeah. One of the uh, big criticisms you hear in, in Bengals fandom um, and I'm sure in other fandoms as well is uh, not only that they picked John Ross, but that they picked him instead of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I get it, uh, but at least they weren't taking a quarterback that year. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, it's one thing to not be in the market for a quarterback and, and, and you know, uh, miss on Watson and Mahomes, but to actually, like, sit down and say, we're going to get a quarterback, we're going to get our future, and those two guys are there, and you take Mitch Trubisky. Yeah. Wow. You know, I that, mean, they, yeah. <laughs> that's a big loss. I mean, yes. that's a tough L to take. And for the teams like, you know, that, that passed on Mahomes, but they drafted a different position because quarterback wasn't an immediate need. Like, you know, it's easy to sit here right now and say, oh, well, I don't care what you were drafting, you know, in that draft class. Like, you should have still drafted Patrick Mahomes or you should have still drafted you know, oh, absolutely. Sean Watson. It's easy to do that. But, like, really? Like, it, it, the Chicago Bears that needed a quarterback and 
Trubisky was the guy? Like, no. Like, the Jets, okay, maybe they needed a quarterback. Jamal Adams is a great player. You know, maybe they didn't need a quarterback right away, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Jacksonville, I mean, a lot of people thought that maybe Watson would come off the board of Jacksonville and certainly drafted a running back fourth overall in today's NFL seems a bit like poor planning. You know, are you going to ding the Panthers at eight for McCaffrey when they had Cam Newton? I don't think so, especially with the way McCaffrey's playing. And he's more of a yeah. running back. He's more like a wide receiver. You know, and since he at nine, you know, you didn't think you needed a quarterback right away. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's where you, you know, talking about the Panthers. I think the Panthers are the only team that, like, in retrospect, you can look at it and understand why they took McCaffrey. Right. Um, but really, every team was wrong. Yeah. You know, even, even taking Miles Garrett was wrong. You know, yeah. when you when you when you uh, project and when you, when you know what Patrick Mahomes would end up being. So. Right. Um, but, yeah, and we had to look at it that way that, look, Andy, Andy Reid knew better. Not everybody did. Yeah. And what <laughs> was know, what he was, went up with a guy's guy. Not everybody had that figured out. What was fascinating, Matt, about being at the combine was hearing from Cliff Kingsbury that, you know, Andy Reid and his people were doing their homework on Mahomes like when he was younger, like when he was like a sophomore, they were already like in the building meeting with Clinsbury, watching film on Mahomes with them. You know, you have to give the chiefs and their sort of scouting department a ton of credit for being in on Mahomes a lot earlier than even those of us in the draft, you know, football Twitter world were, you know, I really think, look, the Bengals have to take Joe Burrow because they have an opportunity to take Joe Burrow. But when you look at these quarterbacks, I mean, people talk about Mahomes changing that team. They talk about Watson changing teams. You talk about Lamar Jackson. But these young quarterbacks that are that are at the top of the league, they went to teams that were already pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think I believe the Ravens were nine and seven, but didn't make the playoffs when they took Jackson. I believe the Texans were nine and seven and did make the playoffs. And I want to say that Chiefs won 12 games with Alex Smith the year before they yeah. had drafted Mahomes, and then 10 games with Alex Smith the year that they drafted Mahomes. So, like, to me, that's the ideal situation. And what you should have, what you what they did do with Alex Smith, and what you should have done with an Andy Dalton, in my opinion, is realize you've got a guy who you can win with. You don't have to. You know, you don't have to like risk something and, and go for a high risk, high reward guy like a Josh Allen or somebody like that. But, you know, that you should always be looking for that guy. And and when you find that guy, you got to go up and you got to get him. And, and that's what yeah. the Texans did. That's what the Chiefs did in the same year. Um, you know, the I mean, the Ravens are an interesting one because we talk about how everybody made a mistake on um <laughs> with uh, uh, with not taking Mahomes, but I mean the the Ravens took Hayden Hurst so yeah. <laughs> before they took Lamar Jackson. So uh, yeah, so I mean I, I really think that's the that's the blueprint, and that's you know that that's what you got to be doing it. And and if Mahomes isn't in that draft, they're you know they probably would have stuck with Alex Smith, and he probably would have taken him to the playoffs for another year until they until they found their guy. So. Uh, that, that to me, that's the blueprint. That's the strategy. If you have a guy that's all right, build around the guy that's all right, and then have something set there for your young quarterback. So you can really, really take off when you get that guy in there. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. And what was fascinating about seeing that draft unfold that night was, like you said, like both those teams, you know, the Chiefs and the Texans, they showed that they had a plan of transition and a plan for the future at the quarterback position. And I really sort of thought I was on with uh, Sigmund Bloom and Matt Waldman there live, like the Audible Live first round draft night show. And Sigmund Bloom went on at length. And I thought it was brilliant about, you know, showing that these teams had a vision for the future. You know, they weren't going to just stand pat and be happy with the way things were at the quarterback position. It's such an important position that they're going to go, Got, go up in the draft to go get guys that they value at the position that they think can fit what they're doing. And even if they're not going to play right away, like with Mahomes, they want to make sure that they have the next guy, not just the guy for right now. And I do think more teams sort of want to, or should at least, think about that approach. When you think about, you know, this draft, for example, and you look at, you know, some of the teams we expect to take quarterbacks, you know, everybody expects Cincinnati to take a quarterback. Everybody sort of expects, you know, the Chargers and perhaps even the Panthers to take a quarterback. But I get to that, you know, 12, 13, 14 range, and maybe Indian Tampa Bay are also teams we strongly expect to get a quarterback. But the Raiders, even if they stand pat with Derek Carr, no, you've got to pick at 12. You've got to pick at 19. Mm -hmm. Get a guy. Like, even if you're still satisfied with Derek Carr, draft a guy who could be the next guy. Because maybe Carr doesn't, live up to your expectations. Maybe he does, but either way, you got a chance here to get the guy that could be your next guy. I think more teams should be looking at that when they have the ability to do so. Yeah, a- absolutely. I think, uh, you know, w- we got to realize that scouts, GMs, everybody's really like, they're really highly motivated to find great players Yeah, and especially a great quarterback. I mean, because that's something I mean, you want to you want to talk about job security? Draft Patrick Mahomes. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> but uh, but you know, I think that because they're so motivated for that, that's why you end up with Mitch Trubisky. You know, because you're looking you're looking for greatness, and sometimes you look past you know all the all the warts because you're so motivated to to find what's going to work. Uh, you know, and what's going to, you know, be, be your legacy. So having an Alex Smith or an Andy Dalton a year or so ago, um, I think it, it puts you in a position where you can relax. There's not pressure on you to find that guy because you've got a guy that you can win, you know, nine, 10 games and go to the playoffs with. And feel good about it if you're doing a good job coaching, you're doing a good job putting other people around them. And then you're not going to make that mistake. Um, Because, you know, to me, like, get drafting a quarterback high, it's it's risk reward. You know, like it could be it could be your legacy either way. You know what I mean? And you're not going to get two shots at that very often. No, you're not. And, you know, another sort of thing to remember is general managers are generally risk averse people. You know, they don't want to get it wrong because if you get it wrong, you're going to get fired. And so, you know, having that sort of foresight is always a good thing. Like you think about some of the successful franchises over the past couple of years, you know, the Patriots and others, they always seem to be thinking two, three, four years down the road. Mm. You know, look at what we saw in just the past couple of days. The New England Patriots, they get a league high four comp picks because rather than overpaying a guy like a, a Trent Brown or a Trey Flowers, they say, thanks, you've done a great job. Go get your money, son. 
and they take that third round comp pick in return and they turn that into another solid player, or at least if it's not a solid player, if they miss on the pick, they've got 12 draft picks in the upcoming draft. So they give themselves a bunch of different outs, you know, whether they use all of them, whether they trade some of them, whether they, you know, package them to move up, you know, trade out of some of these and accumulate more picks down the road. Mm -hmm. They give themselves a ton of bites at the apple. And, you know, if you're risk averse or not, the more opportunities you have to be successful, the chances are you're going to be more successful in the long run. Yeah. And Belichick will, he'll cook it down the line a little bit too. You know, (laughs) you know, if he doesn't like something on day three, he'll, he'll trade for, for a six round pick the next year or something like that too. So, or he'll do what he did last year trade up in the fifth round for a punter. Like, (laughs) <laughs> which is what we should have known the draft was over. Like we all should have gone home. It was Justice Mosqueda <laughs> who tweeted that when it happened. He was like, folks, Belichick just traded up for a punter. It's time to turn the TV off and spend some time with your families. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No kidding. So, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. And, and I, I you know, another trend that I've noticed uh, that I find interesting is I, I feel like teams that draft a quarterback like to hedge their bets by having another first round pick. Yeah. Like um, you know, the 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 uh Redskins, uh they they took Haskins, but then they traded back in and took Montez Sweat. Right. Uh, you know, with the uh with the Bills, everybody thought they had two first round picks they were gonna use both to trade up. Um they didn't. You know, they they took Tremaine Edwards, uh or Edwards, excuse me, with, with the uh with one of them, uh and Josh Allen with the other. You know, I, I mentioned Hurst and Lamar Jackson before. So it's kinda like these teams are looking to like, like, like the quarterback is the bonus, yep. and if it works out, it works out. But if not, it's like, well, we already got a first round pick that year, so we're we're doing enough to keep our our team on an, an even keel and, and building towards the future. Yeah, because we've we've seen over the past couple of years, teams have success with that rookie quarterback because they can build around them, given you know the low relative cost of a rookie quarterback in this current CBA landscape. You can just build around a rookie quarterback and load up and make that run. That's why, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of Mitchell Trubisky coming out. And I was befuddled that the Bears passed on Mahomes and Watson. But you go get that rookie guy, you know, if that's the guy, top guy on your board, like, well, okay. But you build around him and sort of make a run. We all see that sort of rookie quarterback window as the window. And so... You know, given the relative inexpensive nature of rookie quarterbacks these days, it kind of makes sense. Like the rookie quarterback is the bonus, like you said. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to see, too, because the Dolphins have three first round picks. They're sitting at five. And, you know, right now you think they're going to have the, their their choice of, of quarterbacks not named Joe Burrow. But somebody's probably tried to move into three or four. It'll be interesting because I, I think a lot of people talk about, well, they're going to use two picks and, and go up for three. I, like, I wonder if it'll even cost them that much, you know, to, to move up two slots to, to the third. I mean, I wonder if they could they could get that for a second um, and, you know, maybe some other stuff, too. Um, it'll be interesting to see how flexible they are with that, uh, you know, with their their additional first round picks. I mean, the, the other thing to keep in mind with Miami and again, this is lion season. Like over the next couple of weeks, more lies will be told than they usually are close in time at the bar. <laughs> but I've been told that they like Herbert. And they might be sitting there at five and thinking, okay, Burrow at one. We assume Chase Young at two. Like, so say somebody else comes up, say the, the, the Panthers come up to three to draft 
two of them. Okay. And then you're assuming that somebody else comes up to four with Dave Gettleman, who mm-hmm. at the Combine was telling us, by the way, Dave Gettleman's podium media session at the Combine, they should have had a two-drink minimum in charge to cover for it. It was like high <laughs> comedy. It was incredible. But he said something to the effect of, well, you know, trading down, you might trade down to eight, and the four players you like all are off the board by that. Dave Gettleman has never traded down. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I doubt that he would. And so he sits there and he takes the offensive tackle. Now you've got Herbert, the guy you liked anyway, falling into your lap at five no matter what. And, and so I, I'd be surprised if Miami has to trade up. And if they don't have to, look, they've got cap space. If you're the Miami Dolphins, you can come out of this with your quarterback at five. You can get Chasen, perhaps the LSU edge, you know, uh, with one the other, the one at 18 that you got from Pittsburgh. You know, you could perhaps get the offensive tackle Josh Jones from Houston or Austin Jackson from USC at 26. You've got cap space. You sign, say, Kyle Van Noy to also help you on the defensive side of the ball. Suddenly that roster's getting stocked. I mean, that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, and we got to remember, too, that now, you know, they they, they gave up a, a key defensive player and an offensive tackle to get these picks. Yep. So – those guys have to be replaced. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, uh, like, like it always, it always strikes me as funny when people are like, Oh, just trade this guy. And like, okay, well now you're not really getting anything for that pick because now you need to replace that, that excellent player you had. And I, and I think most teams, uh, if you said, Hey, your first round pick is going to be Minka Fitzpatrick, we'll be pretty happy about it. Um, and you know, obviously using a different, uh, you know, uh, you know, example there, but, um, Yes, yeah, so that's interesting. Now, we have spent a, a fair amount of time here uh, talking about drafting a quarterback. So that leads us naturally to uh, one one Joe Burrow. Um, what? Uh, let's start here. What is your Joe Burrow comp? You know, I, I'm not sort of the best at comps. Um, because I hate especially, it, but everybody else loves them. So I everybody love, else loves them. spot about them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, especially with the quarterback position, because there's so much stuff that goes into it. You know, I, I do see a lot of people use the Tony Romo comp, and I think that makes a ton of sense. You know, the, the mobility a bit, the ability to sort of create outside of structure, the sort of quick release that he has that is very similar, I think, to Romo. You know, and I, I and part of the reason why I'm hesitant to make cops is because I spend so much time watching Tom Brady that when I see similarities in young players, I want to compare them in a sense from a trait-based perspective to a guy like Tom Brady, and people automatically overreact. But I see some of Brady and Burrow, you know, and I know Burrow himself is sort of brushed off that comparison. But when you talk about the footwork, both in and around and maneuvering and fighting in the pocket, it's Brady-esque in a sense. You can tell he's been studying Tom Brady. When you see the release, the accuracy, you know, things that Brady places a premium on and constantly works at, you see that in Burrow. Now, do I think he's going to be Tom Brady? I can't say that for sure. I wouldn't want to go on record as saying that. That's a that's a mighty, mighty big matzo ball heading out there. Mm-hmm. But I do see that Joe Burrow has tried to model himself after that. And I think, you know, for a quarterback with his skill set, you know, trying to model his game after Tom Brady makes a great deal of sense. Yeah, and, and that's a great one too because I, I I think I think what's interesting with Burrow is he can 
do so many things. Like he can win in a lot of different ways. And we tend to compare him to uh, to the more athletic guys, to the to the creators like Romo. Um, and, you know, Steve Young is one, one I've heard thrown out a little bit. And uh, Steve Young was huge, like right, right in my formidable years. So. Uh, that's that's one that I that I really like because he, he was one of my favorite uh, non Bengals growing up. So it's it's interesting hearing Brady because you know that really speaks to the fact that he can win differently. You know he yeah. can just move slightly in the pocket and and you see he, he had some great throws where he he stepped up in the pocket or he yep. stood and he took a hit. Um, but I mean obviously the uh, uh, the outside of structure outside the pocket uh, you know the play against Oklahoma where he basically is jumping out of bounds right. while getting hit and he throws the ball to, to Marshall. I mean, you know, obviously those plays stick out, but uh, what's, what is interesting about him is he can win in so many ways. And I think a lot of times uh, you saw in the Super Bowl, um, the 49ers did a really good job for about three quarters uh, of, of keeping Mahomes in the pocket and staying on top of deep balls. Uh, because he's best out of the pocket and thrown it deep. Yeah. Uh, and obviously they couldn't keep it up and the Chiefs wore him down and the Chiefs did some you know some good things uh, offensively outside of that. Uh, but you know Burrow's a guy that when you take away what he wants to do, he'll he'll decide he's gonna do something different. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, and, and yeah, you want to keep him in the pocket? All right, cool, I'll step up and make a play in the pocket. You know, you wanna you're going to rush him fast. He's got a quick delivery. You're going to give him time. He'll stand back there and, and, you know, find something that's open. So really interesting how he evolved and kind of changed. I really feel like there was like kind of three points to his season. I think everybody talks about before and after the Auburn game, but then I feel like he was a little bit different in, in the, uh, in the championship as well. Uh, you know, I, I've, he was a little bit more, he was a little, he was slinging it a little bit more in that game. Like he was going for it a little bit more and, um, and I think he had like a, I, w- I want to say his completion percentage in that game was like 56%, which compared to what he was doing the rest of the year, it's like, whoa. Uh, right. But, you know, but that's a game that, you know, obviously uh, he did some very good things in. So it's interesting that he can change his MO uh, and still have so much success. You know what's amazing, Matt? And it sort of speaks to the just incredible season that he had mm-hmm. is that. You just said, oh, you know, his completion percentage in that actual championship game was like 50%, right? 56%. Mm-hmm. It was 63. And it was the lowest of the season. Like, <laughs> his season was so incredible. We're 63.3% in one game against a team that was running a, a 3-1-7 and really trying to take away the passing game. That was his lowest completion percentage of the entire year. Like most of his games were either in the mid seventies, like he had an eighty-seven point five against Northwestern State, which by the way, I did a video on his first half against Northwestern State. It was some of the best quarterback play I've seen from anybody in a long time. Just mm-hmm. and he even threw a pick in that. And even the pick was impressive. You know, he had eighty-seven point five again against Florida, then the number seven team in the country. Like his season was so remarkable that you think, oh man, he's he didn't complete a ton of throws or his completion percentage was just 56 or something like that against, you know, Clemson, in the national championship game. It was 63.3, still very impressive. And yet he's the lowest of the season. So, um, I threw out a number there and, and, and got it wrong. So I actually looked up this number, uh, and 
I just had a feeling, and, and go figure, it was perfect. Uh, the last time the Bengals uh, took a quarterback first overall, uh, Carson Palmer, uh, you know, he was a he was a surefire. He was right up there with with Andrew Luck. You know, like great prospect, home run pick. Uh, his completion le- or percentage for his entire senior season at USC in two thousand two, sixty three point two. Wow. <laughs> there you go. That was wow. Burrow's worst game of the Amazing. year against arguably the best defensive coordinator in all of football. Like yeah. I think you know, I I, I would definitely put uh, put him up there. Uh, and, a, and a very talented defense full of defensive uh, 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 dr- uh, high dr- draft picks. Yeah, that was his entire uh, senior season, 63.2%. Uh, speaks a little bit to how much the game has changed. A little bit. <laughs> but, uh, wow, yeah. Now, uh, with all that he's got going for him, uh, does his arm strength concern you? It doesn't in the sense that when you look at how he wins with his mind, the little things he does at the quarterback position, and you look at way, the way the game is played in today's National Football League, and you look at the offense he's going to be asked to run in Cincinnati, it doesn't concern me. Like, do I think that, you know, if you ask like a Bruce Arians, obviously we know the offense that he runs, like to give you his quarterback board, like there's a chance that Burrow's not QB1. Like maybe he's QB2 or something because he might value upper level arm strength a bit more. But I think for what Cincinnati is going to ask him to do, what most teams will ask him to do, when you look at, I did this study a couple years ago. I haven't replicated it since, but it was in preparation for, um, I believe it was a 2018 draft when people were talking about Kyle Laletta and his lack of a, like, of a true powerful arm. It looked back and looked at the fact that most teams, you know, somewhere from 80 to 85 to sometimes even 90% of their offense is 10 yards of the line of scrimmage or less. I mean, I think it was like Drew Brees and Alex Smith mm-hmm. at the time, like just like nine or 10% of their throws were more than 10 yards downfield. Like that's where the league is played right now. And so for the bulk of your offense for, you know, sometimes like 90% of your offense, you just need a guy that can be, quick and accurate and precise in that short area of the field, Joe Burrow can do that. So I think, you know, the arm strength conversation, it's more of a scheme thing than anything else. And so I think Burrow is going to be just fine there. Yeah. And again, he can do so many other things. Um, And, you know, the, the sideline hitch route, you know, like you could talk about that and and, and we've seen that a little bit on film. Uh, that he's not always hitting those, especially to the field. Uh, yeah. Now, obviously, the, the hash are a little tighter in the NFL. But uh, when we're looking at, I, you know, I think that that's one throw. And, and we see, I think he's he's got the arm strength for the outside vertical route. And he's so accurate with everything in the middle that I think he can, I think he can work around that. Yeah, I do too. Um, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this with, uh, with two tough questions for you. No. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, if you had to choose between these four quarterbacks to lead your franchise for the next 10 years, who would you pick? Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, or Duck Hodges? <laughs> I love the inclusion of Duck there. I, I thought Duck was fun to watch, man. Um, I got to take little shots at the Steelers, though. So. I get it. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> obviously it's not going to be Duck. Baker, I'm, you know, it's hard not to be a little bit of off on Baker you know, when you look at the season that he had last year. So I do think it comes down for me to Burrow or Lamar. 
you know? And I think given what we've seen from Lamar, I would still lean with Lamar Jackson because he's, you know, obviously had a somewhat of a magical season last year and they did get bounced from the playoffs and now he's lost two playoff games. And so you do wonder about that. And you wonder about, you know, potentially the injury history, but you know, he, he does look like he can play at a pretty high level in the national football league. The NFL seems to be trending in the direction of more mobile quarterbacks. So I would lean Lamar Jackson, but that's, that's that doesn't take away anything from Joe Burrow. You know, because he's still an extremely solid to great to elite prospect at the quarterback position. And he may prove me wrong in the National Football League, but we've seen, you know, two pretty good seasons from Lamar Jackson, two, including an MVP-type season. So it's hard to bet against the guy given that. that, that that's fair. And put and filling it with division rivals was putting you in a bad spot. But, yeah, I get you know, it. Putting you in a tough spot, but uh, we're we're not too vicious of a fan base, so you should be all right. Uh, all right. So here's here's the here's the even tougher question. Uh, rank these. Three, uh, these these five things, one through five. Okay. Uh, watching quarterback film. Yep. Peaky blinders. Okay. Scrubs. Oh, man, you kill me. Africa by Toto. Oh, God. And the sound of a child's laughter. Oh, my God. Matt, you're killing me here. Um, Okay. I got to say, like, even though I'm the quarterback guy, QB film is still fifth on that list. Like... Wow. Because for all of the Joe Burrows and the Lamars and the Mahomes we get to study, mm-hmm. there's guys like, say, a Kevin Davidson from Princeton or a Case Cookus from Northern Arizona or, you know, other guys that you have to watch when you do what I do that aren't as enjoyable. So that's five. You know, I think Scrubs would be four. It's a classic. Um but, you know, I'm a bit more removed from it. Peaky Blinders has surpassed Scrubs for me. I mean, Peaky Blinders, the, the soundtrack, the theme song, it's in the workout mix, especially for leg day. It's great. You know, Red Right Hand is perfect for leg day. And so Peaky Blinders is three for me. Plus, while both shows have impressive gifts that you can put in the rotation on Twitter, I think the Peaky Blinders gifts are even more impressive, which is why we've got new rule on Twitter, Peaky Blinders gifts to get the automatic retweet, just like obviously Scrubs does. You know, I am the Africa total guy, so that will be two. And look, in this day and age, the sound of a kid laughing with that innocence and the, the oblivious nature to the fact that the world seems to be burning down around us, it's brings some joy to my cold, dark heart. So yes, I will say that the kid's laughter is number one. And a, and a quick story about my cold, dark heart. Everybody that's listened to the show probably knows the one and only Arif Hassan, who covers the Minnesota Vikings for the Athletic Minnesota. Out at the Combine, I think it was Wednesday, maybe Tuesday morning. It was bright and early in the media center. And I had just gotten there and I was telling everybody, it was the Draft Network guys and Arif, that I was going to go get some breakfast. And I come back with just a thin of orange juice. And Trevor Sickham looks at me, he's like, That's your spread? Really? Just OJ? And I said something like, Look, Trevor, when you get to be my age, you need to ease into breakfast a little bit, okay? You can't just, like, dive right in and get the full belly out the gate. And Arif looked at me. He's like, have you ever said anything happy? Like, in the years that I've known you, have you ever been happy about anything? I looked at him. I said, probably in the year 2000. Like, so, yes, my my heart is dark and cold. So a child's laughter is something I do need from time to time. <laughs> 
I mean, something had to pull you out of being a lawyer, right? Yeah, yeah. Something <laughs> did. A lot of things did, but that, that that's a, a top the list. <laughs> All right. So um, now uh, I do want to mention uh, that you do something called the Interception Project. Um, and I'll actually I'll find a link uh, to the one you did on Burrow uh, and, and throw it into the, the article that will accompany this podcast. So if anybody hasn't seen that, I'll, I'll make that accessible for you so you can check that out. Uh, anything else you'd like to plug? Any any other places where people can uh, can find your work? I mean, the easiest way is on Twitter at Mark Schofield. You can find all the hijinks there, including lots of Peaky Blinders gifts. Um, I am I did join the crew over at USA Today, Touched on Wire. So I'm going to be working with Doug Farrar um, over the weeks and months. And love Doug. Um, yeah, Doug's great. Um, go back a long way with Doug. Um, he and I were at Bleacher Report together on the NFL 1000 project. So you know, I've been doing a ton of stuff, getting ready for free agency, which we expect to happen. Although the NFL has just pushed back owners' meetings, so who knows. Um, but yeah, easiest way is Twitter at Mark Schofield. All right. And, uh, keep coming back here. Going to have lots of great guests throughout the draft process. Uh, next week we'll start digging a little bit deeper, uh, into, into specific prospects, specific positions. Uh, so make sure you are coming back for that and, uh, you know, checking out all the podcasts here on, uh, Orange and Black Insider and, and all the work over at Cincy Jungle throughout this very exciting time in Bengals history. Yeah, we coming for with sours. Yeah, we coming for with sours. You hit it.